And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you had done what I asked you to, to come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. And comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's a Christmas drama on The Silent Men, starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr. from 1951. Then Penny Singleton and Arthur Lake make guest appearances as Blondie and Dagwood Plumstead on The Bob Hope Show from 1938. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Enjoying all the Christmas programming this I month? I sure am. I'm yes. glad to hear that. Although, you know, we can look forward to a little warmer weather. Maybe the uh, spring programming will do so, I'm sure some you'll good like that. Us. Well, you're going to take off for Florida pretty soon, right? I am, but... She's going to be... I will be back. Flying south for the winter. Yep. Me and the birds. Right. We tend to go south. <laughs> take me, too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, before we do that though we have to play Christmas programming and uh, one of the great shows from the golden age of radio was The Silent Men. This was an espionage series, came to NBC Radio in 1951 and it starred Douglas Fairbanks Jr. He was a perfect choice because he actually lived and worked with espionage and special operations for most of his State Department and U.S. Naval Reserve career throughout World War II. Now, this series was only 29 episodes, but each comprised of compelling and interesting stories of intelligence warfare that was rarely, if ever, reported. Now, the casts had radio's row in them, including William Conrad, Herb Butterfield, Virginia Gregg, Paul Fries, John Daner, and others. It was produced and directed by Warren Lewis. We have a good show for you now from December 23, 1951. This is called The Souvenirs of War. It stars Douglas Fairbanks Jr. in part one of The Silent Men. Douglas Fairbanks Jr. in The Silent Men. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks' production of The Silent Men. Transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. Now here is Douglas Fairbanks. In the United States of America, a man may legally purchase a gun to be kept in his home for the protection of himself, his family, and his rights. This is a constitutional privilege denied in most other nations of the world. However, as crime records attest, not all guns are purchased legally. Those who would use a gun for evil purposes cannot risk the scrutiny that goes with legal purchase. They buy illegal weapons handled in the shadows outside the law. Guns bought to intimidate or kill rather than to protect. Against the traffic in illegal weapons, we have one defense. The silent men. Special agents of the federal government who track down the purveyors of illegal weapons. 
Tonight it is once again my privilege to play the role of one of these silent men, Special Agent Paul Wellman, in the file case entitled Souvenirs of War, in which only the names and places are fictional. It started in Detroit with a request from the local police. They were holding an 18-year-old boy, Billy Watkins, on a charge of murder. He'd killed a liquor store proprietor in a holdup. The federal government entered the case because of the weapon employed. Better come into my private office, Mr. Wellman. Thank you. It's quieter in here. Sit down. Mm. Ah, thanks. Is that the gun on your desk? Yeah. Ah, German Luger. Nazi army issue for officers. Your your lab been over this? Yeah, you can handle it. Uh-huh. How about the slug? American ammunition, near as the lab can determine. Quite a few companies put out shells of almost identical caliber. Yeah. Not perfect fits, but close enough to kill a man with. Well, we've had a couple of other foreign gun cases. Like what? These. Kid killed in a gang fight a few months ago. Lab thinks the murder weapon might have been a Mauser. And here's another. Negro shot down while he was waiting for a bus. Witnesses saw a couple of youngsters barrel by in a hot rod when the shot was fired. Slug indicates a weapon of Belgian manufacture, according to ballistics. This kid, this um, Billy Watkins who killed the liquor store man, uh, he tell you anything? Tough one. Clammed up. Want to talk to him? Is he here? I had him brought in from the county jail this morning. I've got him in the bullpen. You got a private office I can see him in? I'd like to um, get him out of the cell for a few minutes. Sure. You go in here. All right. I'll get him and bring him in to you. I ain't saying nothing. My lawyer told me not to talk to nobody. As far as the charge of murder against you is concerned, he may be right, Billy, but I'm not interested in the murder charge. That's for the local authorities. I want to know about the gun that was found on you. Where'd you get it, Billy? I got nothing to say. Okay. Well, maybe we can talk about something else, eh? Understand you come from a large family, eh? Six. You're the oldest, aren't you? Yeah. Guess you've made your family pretty happy. I don't care whether they're happy or not. They'll get by. Oh, sure. Looking at you through bars isn't going to bother them at all. That's why you've refused to see your mother, isn't it? Why don't you leave me alone? That's the stuff to be tough. You've got a kid brother, 14 years old. Maybe he'll see what a big shot you are. Maybe he'll wind up sharing a cell with you for a few years later on. I don't care what you say to me. I ain't going to tell you nothing. Why should you? Don't spoil your kid brother's chances. Maybe if you keep quiet, somebody will put a gun in his hand someday and he can join you for good. You've been involved in a series of petty thefts, Billy, but never with a gun until this time. You threw away your whole life on that gun. It's my life, ain't it? I ain't kicking about it. You killed a man. You threw his life away. You threw away the lives of your mother and your father. Oh, let me alone. I asked you to leave me alone. Go ahead, Ball. It'll do you good. You want to see your mother? She couldn't come. She couldn't take it. You want to see her here? In this office without bars between you? Oh, they wouldn't let me. You know they wouldn't. I could fix it. It might be the last time, Billy. The last chance for the rest of your life without the bars. What do you say, boy? I... All I want to know is where you got the gun. I bought it. From who? I don't know. I never saw him. I don't know who he was. You're going to stick to that? It's the truth. 
Oh, it's hard to explain. Try. I'm listening. Oh, I had to put $50 in a locker in the bus depot. Go ahead. Well, then I took the locker key and put it in an envelope. I mailed it. Just like that? No address? It went to a guy named Harold Callan at the Hotel Sussex. You never saw him? No. Then what? The next day, I got a letter. An envelope come in the mail, and it had a key in it. Uh Uh-huh. For a locker in the railroad depot. I went and opened it, and the gun was there in a package. I see. Well, who told you to write to this Harold, um, Callan in the beginning? A fortune teller? No. It it was... Go ahead, Billy. A guy named Burton. Who's he? Fats Burton. He used to run a pool room on Lake Street before the war. He was in the Army, and Mm -hmm. he said the Callan guy was in the Army, too. That's how come he had the gun. It was a war souvenir. All right, Billy. The guard will take you back to your cell. You said I could have a visitor. You will have. As soon as I've checked your story. The story wasn't easy to check. Up to a point, we followed the lead Billy Watkins had given me, but it wound up against a stone wall. I went back to police headquarters. Got a report for you, woman. Good. You won't think so. It is. Here's statements from every employee of the Sussex Hotel. Isn't Harold Callan registered there anymore? He never was registered there. Well, that Watkins kid wasn't lying to me, Chief. I didn't say he was. Nobody at the hotel ever heard the name Callan before? The night desk clerk might have. He's not sure. How come? Too many names to remember on a job like that. But huh. when he was going over the register with my men, he, he said he thought a man had stopped in one night and asked if he was holding a letter in the name of Callan. I see. Clerk said he did have a letter. You know, uh, sometimes mail comes to a hotel for people who are traveling, haven't reached the place to check in. Sure, sure. It's a good gimmick. As far as the clerk remembers, Callan said he'd planned to stay at the Sussex. That's why he'd had his mail sent there. But he had to go right back home because of urgent business. Yeah, that figured. Don't suppose he said where home was, did he? If he did, the clerk doesn't remember it. Looks like our only lead to Callan, if... Callan, as his name, will be through Fats Burton, ex-GI and pool room operator. No good, Mr. Wellman. Why not? Burton's back in the Army. Oh. He re-enlisted and was assigned to duty in the Allied sector of Germany. Uh-huh. Went over last week. Oh, great. I suppose you could work an angle and have him sent back to the States. Well, what good would it do? He's committed no crime, none that we could prove. There's the kid story. Sure. The word of a murderer against a citizen without a record. A soldier on top of that. No. Burton's out. We can't hold him. I had loose threads and nothing to tie them to. I tried to find a man named Harold Callan who mightn't even exist. Billy Watkins had made his contact through Fats Burton in the pool room circuit. I tried the same circuit. For weeks, I clicked balls together, sticking to the places where young hoodlums seemed to gather. Finally, I hit something. Say, that was a pretty nice shot, mister. Well, thanks. Want to shoot a game? Yeah, all right. Well, uh, what do you want to play? Rotation? Chicago or the black ball? You pick it. Rotation. Hey, Pete! Rack him up here, will you? Okay. Uh, loser pays, okay? Sure. Now, how about a little action on the side? Well, you've watched my game. I haven't seen yours. Well, I don't think I'm as good as you are. Uh-huh. Nickel a point shouldn't leave nobody bleeding. How about it? All right, nickel a point. Thanks, Pete. All right. Toss to see who breaks? Fair enough. Here. You call it. Heads. Tails. Okay. Bust them. 
played off his game deliberately, keeping his score just a few points behind mine. On the second game, we raised the stakes to a dime a point. On the third, a quarter. He was letting me win, building it up, but I wasn't interested in his game. He was wearing a button-up sweater, and when he leaned across the table to make difficult shots, there was a bulge that had a familiar look. Ah, if I sink that one, I beat you. Now you get it. You're right. I get it. And that puts me eight points up. Two dollars. Okay. Here. Now, how about a chance to get even? Buck a point. No, thanks. I had enough. What do you mean? I want a chance to get even. I said I don't want to play anymore. What, do you take me for a pigeon? You're the one who suggested the betting. I've got a right to quit. Oh, nice. Nice when you've been winning all the time. Suppose you lost. Maybe you couldn't even pay off. I'd like to see... See what? The color of your money. Sure. Here, take a look. Satisfied? Yeah. I thought maybe you were a shark. Must be a hundred bucks there. A little more or less. Well, thanks for the game and the money. Uh, Wait a minute. I'll walk out with you. Time on table four, Pete. I'll pay you later. Okay. Uh, you live around here? No. No, I'm staying at a hotel downtown. Well, I'm going that way. I'll give you a lift. Got a car? Yeah. Parked on the next street. Let's go through the alley here. Sure. All right, this way. It's kind of dark and narrow, but it's a shortcut. Yeah, I understand. Oh, you... Keep your hands from under that sweater, boy. If you don't, you're going to get hurt. Listen, you let me alone. Let me go. Oh, I... I will as soon as I get this... Kind of dangerous toy for a boy of your size. You a cop? Your questions can wait. Mine come first. You can answer them downtown. Now, get moving. But don't get smart. The gun was of Italian manufacture. Again, an army issue. The boy's name was Gene Shelby, and his story about getting the gun was the same as the story told by Billy Watkins. Money left in a locker, a key mailed, another key received. There was only one difference. Come on, Gene. Who gave you instructions for buying the gun? A girl. What's her name? Marie. That's all I know. Where'd you meet her? Well, she's a checkroom girl. At the stockade. At the dance hall. Marie Kinsey? Oh, I don't know her last name. I never asked her. You know the girl, Chief? I know her. Let's leave this boy alone for a moment. I'm sure he won't try to leave. Sit down. What about this Marie Kinsey? We've been interested in her from time to time. What for? Usual things. But she's also suspected of being a fence for stolen goods. That sounds good. I thought so, too. She could use that check room as a clearinghouse for anything those young hoodlums picked up. And in her business, she'd also know which ones would be interested in buying guns. I can have her picked up. Uh Uh-huh. No, no, no good. She's in the clear just like Fats Burton was. We have no actual evidence. She might get scared and talk if we brought her in. But if she didn't, our trump cards are all tipped. This kid said he mailed a locker key to a man named Harry Cassidy. But if we check the hotel, we're going to get the same story we got on the other one. Sure, but... You got an idea? Possibly. Billy Watkins mailed a key to Harold Callan. Gene Shelby mailed a key to Harry Cassidy. Harold Callan, Harry Cassidy. Both phony names. But both with the same initials, H.C. Yeah, I see what you mean. Check your alias sheets, Chief. 
Nine men out of ten, when they pick a phony name, use a name with their own initials. You say you've had a watch on the uh, Kinsey girl at the stockade ballroom? On and off. Then your boys know something about her contacts. Dig into them and see if you can find a boyfriend or somebody with the initials H.C. What about the kid? He's yours, carrying a concealed weapon. You can book him. Okay. Oh, uh, just a minute. Before we go out there again. What? You said Fats Burton re-enlisted in the Army. That's right. Why would he go back in the Army? He could go to Europe as a civilian, buy up a batch of guns. Yeah, but smuggling the guns into the States would be a big problem. As a soldier, Fats Burton could lick that problem. Soldiers coming home on rotation might get through with a lot of guns for a buddy. Oh, we'll check it. Take a couple of hours. Want to wait around? No, thanks. No, no, not tonight. I think I'll go dancing at the Stockade Ballroom. Marie Kinsey was easy to notice at the Stockade Ballroom. She was hard not to notice. A statuesque blonde in tight slacks. But when you got up close, she wasn't as young as she looked. Come on, come on, you guys. You can't wear overcoats on the floor. Check them. You two busted with a hat. Me? Hi. Hi. Start shedding. Pardon me? The coat. Take it off. I can't check it while you're wearing it. I'm not staying. I'm just looking for somebody. Who? A kid named uh, Gene Shelby. You know him? What do you want to see him about? You'll know. Well, doesn't come here every night. He's supposed to meet me here at 8 o'clock. It's 8.30 now. I know. I've been waiting outside and in the lobby. I've got to find him. It's important. So grab a table by the bar and wait. If he's supposed to meet you, he'll be here. Yeah. Is, um... Isn't there any place else I could wait? I, I, uh... I don't like all the people. Why not? Look, um... You've got a chair in there in the check room. Maybe if I came in and sat there... Nobody's allowed behind the counter. Not even for $10? For 10 bucks, you can buy the place. Come on. <sighs> well, this is a little better. Come on, wolves. Off with the camel's hairs. Here. Here, don't forget the checks. You really hate crowds, don't you? For ten bucks, I don't expect questions. Turned your head away when those guys were checking their coats. I turned my head a lot. I don't want to get a stiff neck. You hot? You ask a lot of questions, don't you? I'm going to get out of here. If that kid shows up, tell him thanks for nothing. Wait a minute. Relax. What's so important about seeing the Shelby kid? What's it to you? I know him pretty well, that's all. I need something. He was going to help me to get it. He was going to introduce me to somebody. Oh, he didn't say. And like a chump, I didn't ask. If I had, I wouldn't need him. He... Wait a minute. Have fun, fellas. Listen, I think I know what you're in the market for. I doubt it, baby. Sort of a noisemaker? You go in for that kind of a party? Hmm. You're pretty smart. Yeah, no. Anybody would know you were hot to look at you. It'll cost you a hundred bucks. Shelby said fifty. A hundred. Yes or no? Yes. Let me make a call. Now, wait a minute. No call, no merchandise. Um, go ahead. But I need this thing right away, tonight. No good. I need it, I tell you. You can have it the day after tomorrow, no sooner. You'll make up your mind. <sighs> I got a big choice. Make your call.
Marie, I got a customer. All right. I got it. Hundred. Yeah. Bye. Got a pencil? Yeah, here. No, you write it. Harry Callan. C-A-L-L-E-N. Hotel Walton. Can I go over and see him tonight? You don't go see him at all. Go to the depot five blocks from here. Put the money in an envelope. And then stick it in one of them dime lockers and nail him the key. That's the first portion of The Silent Men. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Do you love classic radio shows? The Jack Benny Program. X-1. Suspense. Now you can receive 10 classic radio shows on five CDs every month by joining the Classic Radio Club. Hi, I'm Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club so fans can receive the best of the best from my library each and every month. Join now and receive your first 10 classic radio shows on five CDs, a $39.95 value for only $4.99. Then every month, I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows and mail them to you on five CDs. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com to join and receive your first 10 classic radio shows on five CDs for only $4.99. That's ClassicRadioClub.com or call toll-free 888-642-6556. That's 888-642-6556. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now, let's get back. To the silent men. It was the same setup. Whoever her partner was, neither of them would come out in the open to be linked with the guns they were selling. I left the stockade, switched taxis twice to make sure I wasn't followed, and headed for police headquarters. By the time I got there, I had a plan. And the chief had some information. Looks like your queries about Fats Burton paid off, Mr. Wellman. What'd you get on him? Here it is. Walter Burton, drafted October 16, 1943. Member of the draft board says that Burton offered him a bribe for deferment. <laughs> Sounds like a real patriot. Now, all of a sudden, he starts to miss the uniform and goes back to enlist. Yeah, fishy, all right. Get an army report on his assignment? Yeah. Being a volunteer, he requested the assignment he got. He's in the quartermaster corps, port of embarkation. Great. Ha! Rotation troops at his fingertips, and half of them are lugging souvenirs. He must be picking up guns like jelly beans. What he can't get from them, he'll be buying from hungry civilians. Not every soldier that comes through there lives in this city, you know. They don't have to. Once they get to the States, they can mail the guns to somebody here. He's probably got dozens of them doing it on every incoming ship. They don't know his game. How about those initials you were checking, H.C.? There we hit the jackpot. Marie Kinsey has a married sister. Her husband's name is Herb Collier. That time? Like a dream. And I know how we can nail him. How? The man's going to sell me a gun. I'm going to put the money in a locker at the depot tonight and mail him the key. You'll pick up the letter at the Hotel Waltham sometime tomorrow. And we stake it out? Right. You put a man on the desk at the Waltham. Get your lab crew to set up a motion picture camera behind the desk, someplace out of sight. Right. I also want a camera set up in the depot to uh, get a film on him when he opens the locker. Well, that still isn't evidence. Just a man picking up two envelopes. Oh, it's a link. There's more to the chain. Don't forget, he has to plant the gun for me in another locker. Have him followed. We'll get shots of him carrying the package the gun is in. We can blow them up for close-ups later on. 
Then we can get shots of him making the plant in a railroad locker. Well, that's going to be a tough camera setup. There are a hundred lockers there. How are we going to make sure our camera's trained on the right one? By keeping 99 of them locked. We arranged the camera setups, got shots of Herb Collier, alias Harry Kellen, making the money pickup. We tagged him all the way, but at the railroad depot, while we waited for him to turn up with a gun, we ran into trouble. Now boarding at gate three. There's the signal from the boys on the ramp. Camera's all ready. Now all we need is Collier to turn up. Oh, it won't be long. My men reported by phone. Collier left his house 20 minutes ago and picked up a package at a warehouse between his home and here. Good. Must be using the warehouse for storage. <laughs> Probably got a man there working for him. We've got the address. If, uh... Hey, there he is now. Where? Coming down the stairs by the clock. Oh. Tweed topcoat. Yeah, yeah. Well, we better not stand here. You drift that way and I'll... Uh-oh. What's the matter? Woman going down the locker line there looking for a box. We've only got one open. She'll close it. Better stop her. No time. It'll look funny. But we... Uh, uh, Give me a key. Give me a key to one of the boxes we locked. Yeah. Take your choice. What are you going to do? Open it for him. He doesn't know me. I'll pretend to take something out as he comes along. Oh, we've got to change our camera angle. Uh, Get up to the ramp and tell your men. I'll give you time. Get going. The woman had placed a package in the one open locker as I came up to the boxes. Herb Collier wasn't ten feet away from me. I found the box that matched the number of the key I held, and I pretended to be having trouble with the lock. Collier walked slowly through the aisles, looking for a vacant locker. He passed behind me. You, uh, trying to get that box closed or open? Trying to open it. Key sticks a little. You want the box? Yeah. Lock's kind of stiff, I guess. I need a little oil. I'll have it in a minute. Half these things usually empty. Yeah. yeah. Box open on the whole roll. Well, you can have this one in a second. There. There, there it is now. Help yourself. I thought you had something in there. It's empty. No, no. I just took this ring out and slipped it on my finger. Oh, I didn't notice. Well, it's clear for you now, anyhow. Just stick a dime in the slot, shove your package in, and, and lock it. Yeah, uh, thanks. I, I think maybe I'll keep the package with me. You mean you don't want the locker? I changed my mind. Too bad, Collier, because I want to look at that package anyhow. Throw me, cop! Keep your hands off! He dug inside his coat for a gun he was carrying, one that was loaded and ready for use. I caught his arm just in time, and the shot ricocheted off the marble floor and tore into the metal locker. The men we had planted in all parts of the station poured towards us. By the time I wrestled him to the floor, they were on us, and Collier was handcuffed. Let me go! Let go of me! All right, Collier, just take it easy, and you won't get hurt. Better have your boys keep those people away. Pete, Monahan, calm them down and keep them off. What kind of a frame-up is this? It's no frame-up. I say it is. I was passing through here, you opened a locker, and then you shoved a package in my hand and pulled a gun on me. That's fast thinking and a good story. Well, all right. Well, it's up to you to break it. We can smash it wide open, Junior. We've got motion picture shots of you carrying that package. And when we open it, maybe we'll find your prints on the gun that's inside. That isn't all of the picture either, Collier. We've got shots of you picking up a letter in the name of Harry Callan and taking money out of another locker. I don't know what you're talking about. All you got on me is carrying a concealed weapon. I didn't pull it until you jumped me. Don't be coy, Collier. There's a bigger rap than that. This is a federal case. It's a state rap. If it was, I wouldn't be here. The police aren't taking you, Collier. I'm taking you on a government charge. Illegal sale of weapons. You can't prove it. I can try. Chief, put out a pickup for Marie Kinsey. What do you want Marie for? I want to take her to a movie. Private one. Starring you. She won't tell you nothing. She might. 
Women don't like prisons, Collier. They don't like to age too quickly. We showed Marie the shots of Collier making the pickups, and she started to crack. We read her the law on the illegal sale of weapons, the law and the possible penalties. Just the facts. It was all she needed. I never touched the gun. I never went through my hands. You're an accessory, Miss Kinsey. I didn't know what he was selling. That won't stand up. You knew what I was buying, and you made the same kind of a deal for a kid in a cell in there, Gene Shelby. Didn't you realize that kid might have killed somebody? He just wanted to use the gun to scare people. And so did Billy Watkins, until he got in a tight spot and murdered the owner of a liquor store. You can't blame me for that. I didn't know the Watkins kid. No, but he got his gun through the same source, through Collier. Fats Burton told him how to buy it. Now Fats is in Europe sending more guns through, isn't he? I don't know. You may be able to make it easy on yourself, Marie. The government won't make any deals with you, but judges are inclined to look at all the evidence. Sometimes they're a little more friendly with people who tell the truth. All of it. She gave it all. Names, addresses, and the roundup started. More than 20 men in 20 key cities. Men without conscience putting murder merchandise in the hands of crazy kids. Kids in hot rods. Kids who thought that guns and whiskey and marijuana made them bigger than society. And when we got the sellers, we got the list of customers. Enough to make you sick. Enough to make the whole country sick. Oh, hello, Mr. Wellman. Ah, hello, Chief. Well, the last of the gang has been picked up in Miami. Yeah. All over but the trials now. What about Fats Burton? Under military arrest in Europe. The CID boys got him. Hmm. Almost seven weeks for you. You must be knocked out. I am. Understand the Billy Watkins case went to the jury today. Uh, it didn't take long. They're back. It's over. Murder in the second. He'll draw 20 to life. Mm. An 18-year-old kid. Yeah. Well, maybe because of this, there'll be less of them from now on. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. The smashing of the illegal weapons ring closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we will tell you a story involving heartless dealers in human contraband in the file case entitled Visas for Sale, another venture undertaken for our protection by... The Silent Men. The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's case was written by Joel Murcott and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Featured in tonight's cast were Stan Waxman, Jerry Farber, Glenn Vernon, Gene Tatum, and Bill Yeagerman. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Douglas Fairbanks will shortly present Betty Davis, Gary Merrill, and Emlyn Williams in the motion picture Another Man's Poison. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting adventures involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. Now, Tales of the Texas Rangers on NBC.
And that's The Silent Men from December 23rd, 1951, with Souvenirs of War, starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr., as heard on NBC. Before we tune into The Bob Hope Show, Lisa, I want to read another letter from a member of the Classic Radio Club. Folks, if you're not a member of the Classic Radio Club, you should check it out at ClassicRadioClub.com. Here's a nice letter I got just this week. Right from my introductory volume, listening to these old-time radio favorites has been a joy. The free shows you find on the Internet are low-quality and degraded, nowhere close to the pristine, high-quality episodes I found in the Classic Radio Club. The great value the club provides for my entertainment fits my monthly budget just right. I've rediscovered favorite episodes I've heard before, but the not-so-familiar episodes in these collections are the real treat. If this is what membership is like in your club, Mr. Amari, I can't wait to hear what you will curate for us next month. Thank you, GB Ontario, Canada. I want to thank GB and also all of our members of the Classic Radio Club. I'd love to hear from you. If you are a member, please email me. We'll read your letters on the air. And, folks, if you don't know about the Classic Radio Club, just go to ClassicRadioClub.com. You can start receiving 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time every single month, and you'll never get a duplicate show, and you can cancel at any time. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. I think you'll really love being a member, just like the hundreds of members we have that have already joined up in just a short time that we started this club. All right, it's time now for the Bob Hope Show. This is a great episode from December 20th, 1938. It's a Christmas show. Bob Hope welcomes his special guests, Arthur Lake and Penny Singleton. Here's part one of the Bob Hope Christmas Show. The Pepsodent Show, starring Bob Hope. Hi, folks. The time is here. And Santa Claus is near. Hang up your ear. Bob Hope is here to fill it full of cheer. Ah, thank you so much. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope, and to assure you of having a white Christmas, tonight we're only going to lay the whites of the eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it's nice Christmas weather we're having here. Been raining so hard here this past week, I hear Santa Claus is trading his reindeer and sleigh in for three seals and a surfboard. <laughs> I drove my car downtown today to do my Christmas slopping, and a, and a cop gave me a ticket for crossing the street against the tide. <laughs> instead, instead of a Christmas tree, we're going to put a lighthouse in our living room this year. <laughs> Boy, and it was really wet today. I went into a bakery to buy a two-pound chocolate cake, and when I got home, I had three gallons of cocoa. (laughs) Yes, I did some more Christmas shopping today. I want to send my uncle something he'll like. How do you wrap up a saloon? (laughs) On Christmas Day, my uncle's going to be Santa Claus in a nudist colony. (laughs) They sent him his costume today, a long white beard and a bottle of Mercurochrome. If it's a cold day, it won't need the mercure crows. <laughs> Shirley Temple was in the store today. She asked Santa Claus for a doll. Then Santa Claus asked her if she could get him the right answers to the movie quiz. <laughs> I bought a present for my little niece, Bessie, a doll that will hit back. It's a mama doll. It's a mama doll. On the way out of the store, a guy bumped into me and the doll said, Mom, and the guy looked at me and said, Pardon me, madam. 
I wanted to buy a tie I told the clerk I wanted to see Sufferman's stripes So he brought out my brother From Alcatraz <laughs> The warden up there Told the boys It would be nice If they could get a tree For Christmas So ten of the prisoners Went to Yellowstone Park To get one That was six years ago And they haven't found The tree yet <laughs> My brother always tries To come home For the Christmas holidays Last year he built a boat And all the other prisoners Laughed at him He couldn't get it Out of his cell <laughs> The warden hung a sign on my brother's cell Do not open till Christmas, 1945 Say, Bill, tell our listeners Who we have hanging on the tree Waiting to entertain tonight All right, Bob Tonight, ladies and gentlemen First of all, we bring you the favorites Of millions of readers Of the cartoon strip Blondie Blondie and Dagwood Bumstead As portrayed by Penny Singleton And Arthur Lake Then we have Skinny Ennis and his band Six Hits and a Miss Jerry Colonna Through the courtesy of Warner Brothers And Bob Hope Through the courtesy of the old man With the whiskers uh, Santa Claus? No, Joe Miller <laughs> that's, uh, that's Bill Brightmoller Goodwin, folks Who doesn't care if angels with dirty faces Never wash as long as they clean their teeth with Pepsodent <laughs> Bill's a little tired We've been wrapping packages all day to send to each other you, you, you should see me wrap them It took me two hours to wrap one package today Then I had to unwrap it again I was in it <laughs> I wrapped up one package and put a sticker outside marked unbreakable. The clerk in the post office looked at me and said, you want to bet? <laughs> Boy, if you, get, you really have to get up to get to that post office early, get waited on. I was there at 5.30 this morning. First time I ever mailed a package in my nightgown. <laughs> I got there at 5.30 and stood right on the line, the California-Nevada state line. <laughs> Everybody was licking stamps and addressing packages. I reached out for a pen on the table. When I got my hand back, it had a dozen Christmas seals on it. <laughs> Somebody shoved me, and I went right through the parcel post window. <laughs> Cost me $60 to get back to Hollywood. <laughs> Come in. Uh, Mr. Hope? That's right. I suppose you've heard about the peace conference they're having in South America. Why don't you broadcast from there? South America? Why should I? I've been listening to your program, Peru. Ladies and gentlemen... You've all seen those well-known chick young comic strip characters, Blondie and Dagwood, in your daily newspapers. In most of your theaters this week, you'll be seeing them in the new Columbia picture, Blondie. Tonight, we bring you for the first time on the air, Blondie and Dagwood Bumstead. America's typical married couple is played by Penny Singleton and Arthur Lake. Hello, Bob. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America. Hello, Walter. Say, I'll bet it was a real treat for you two to play that young couple, Blondie and Dagwood. It certainly was, Bob. We've seen them in the comic strip so often, we felt they were old friends of ours. <laughs> Did you enjoy being married to Penny in the picture, Arthur? Yes, sir. I married an angel. <laughs> you married an angel? Yeah, Penny's from heaven. <laughs> uh, tell me, how did they happen to cast you two for the roles of Blondie and Dagwood? Well, the director thought we sort of looked like them. Yeah, but I thought Dagwood was supposed to be a dopey-looking guy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> The, the casting director took one look at me and said, if he's alive, he's it. <laughs> I know those pages flutter, Arthur, but look, that's marvelous. I wish I could get a crack at one of those comic strip characters. Well, maybe you'll get a chance, Bob. I understand they're going to make uh, Joe Palooka. Oh. Uh, don't mind Arthur, Bob. He's an awful tease. Yeah, sort of a comic strip tease. <laughs> 
but I bet you two had a lot of fun making the picture. Yeah, we always get along swell, don't we, Penny? Sure. The only thing we don't agree on is politics. I see. You're both Democrats. Tell me... Uh... <laughs> Tell me, uh, why didn't you bring Baby Dumpling along with you tonight? He had to stay home. He's filing his income tax. <laughs> oh, he's a Republican. Well, you know, I... <laughs> I've always wondered how a couple like Blondie and Dagwood would spend Christmas Eve. Well, Bob, why don't we just drop in on them and find out? All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we now take you to the home of Dagwood and Blondie Bumstead. It's Christmas Eve. Dagwood is in the kitchen doing the dishes, and Blondie is atop a ladder trimming the tree. Music, Skinny. I can't. I still got two more dishes to do. Okay, Blondie, I'm finished. <laughs> Dagwood, if you break any more dishes, we'll have to start going to the movies again. <laughs> Dagwood, will you please go to the door? All right. Gee, I sure hope it isn't company. I'm dead tired. Hello, Dag. Well, Bob Hope, come on in, Bob. Blondie, look who's here. Well, Bob, this is a surprise. If I'd known you were coming, I'd have turned the tree with pestilence. Yeah, well, if I'd known you were going to do that, I'd have brought along my teeth. <laughs> that's just a joke, you know. I'm not... <laughs> and that's the first portion of the Bob Hope Christmas show from December 20th, 1938, starring Bob Hope and special guests Arthur Lake and Penny Singleton. We'll have more of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Do you love classic radio shows? Now you can receive 10 classic radio shows on five CDs every month by joining the Classic Radio Club. Hi, I'm Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club so fans can receive the best of the best from my library each and every month. Join now and receive your first 10 classic radio shows on five CDs, a $39.95 value for only $4.99. Then every month, I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows and mail them to you on five cds every show will be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show log on to classicradioclub.com to join and receive your first 10 classic radio shows on five cds for only 4.99 that's classicradioclub.com or call toll free 888-642-6556 that's 888-642-6556 and now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to the Bob Hope Show. Plus, we'll tune in to Suspense, a good Christmas show. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.